Hi, this is Randy Kentrell with another episode of Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. A strong man goes the second mile. It's an episode about marriage. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. Friedrich Nietzsche. I don't know. Was he German? Not sure. He wrote, It is not a lack of love, but a lack of friendship that makes unhappy marriages. Well, he may be right. It's probably a lack of a lot of things and probably a big shortage of other things. But today, we are going to focus on men and husbands. Thursday, October the 13th, 2022. Welcome. Glad you clicked play. Hope you'll tell a friend. Do you follow Matt Walsh? He of the Daily Wire. He posted something on social media. Um, It's been some weeks ago. Here's what he wrote. I thought it was interesting. A husband does not need to earn his wife's respect any more than a wife needs to earn her husband's love. A wife ought to respect her husband because he is her husband, just as he ought to love and honor her because she is his wife. Your husband might deserve it when you mock him, berate him, belittle him, nag him, but you don't marry someone in order to give them what they deserve. In marriage, you give them what you promised. This doesn't mean that a man has a license to be lazy, abusive, or uncaring. Precisely the opposite. He is challenged to live up to the respect his wife has for him. But if his wife parcels out her respect on a reward system, the husband will feel demoralized and empty. He will not feel at home in his home. He will not have the sense of masculine purpose and fulfillment that his family life ought to afford him after a while he will dread coming home at night preferring to remain at work where his contributions are appreciated and his talents are admired now the marriage has entered a very dangerous place if a man feels more like a man when he's away from his wife than when he is with her disaster is right around the corner the marriage is already half dead won't take much to finish it off how do you feel about that doesn't matter if you're a wife or a husband man or woman interesting it's interesting let's talk a little bit about marriage and let's talk specifically about a strong man who goes the second mile most divorces i'm told are initiated by wives Well, that seemed interesting to me. So I dug a little bit deeper, not too deeply because, well, I'm not real interested in divorce except, yeah, we probably should study it more to figure out what's going on and why things go wrong. Attorney, psychologist, sociologist, other folks that are smarter than me and study this stuff. They attribute much of that to the skill that women have to sense danger. Seems logical. 
I mean, especially if little kids are involved, that a woman would crave safety for herself and her kids. That's, I get it. Other research indicates that women divorce because they feel held back in a relationship. You know, maybe the husband doesn't do enough work in the relationship. Maybe he doesn't do enough to help around the house and the wife grows increasingly discontented. Ironically, there are many experts that I read who claim that women generally will forgive infidelity, but they have difficulty in forgiving emotional neglect, certainly in forgiving abuse. I'm not an expert on these things, but I do know that men and women are different and yet we're the same. And to Matt Walsh's point, I do know that men crave respect. I know that women crave love and both sexes battle unhappiness, which I think for some based on what they say is the sole goal of life. While others I think are content with avoiding unhappiness. You know, I, I look at happiness maybe differently than you. I, I just don't think that's a really great barometer or a really great goal because happiness just seems too fleeting. And yet unhappiness can be a real permanent state of mind if we're not careful. I don't know. Maybe it's a, a semantical argument to be made. Men do have one particular problem that I've seen throughout my life. Generally speaking, I have found it to be mostly a unique male challenge, and that is rage. Rage. Now, I know this seems like an odd way to start a conversation about strong men who go the second mile, but I'm going to begin here because I suspect that every man knows that it is problematic or that it can be. We can move forward toward becoming strong men when we recognize our rage and what form it takes, and then get busy addressing what are we going to do with it? I guess specifically, where are we going to direct it? How are we going to control it? From my experience, rage is typically a male problem. And it's not because males exclusively experience it, but it's because I think we can find it tough to properly direct it. Now, there are some chapters in the Bible that are worth considering. If you're not faith-based, that's fine. I understand, but you really owe it to yourself to at least look at the book of Romans. It speaks specifically to this battle that goes on inside each one of us. And it doesn't matter if we're a man or a woman here, we are living this life and we don't always do what we know is the right thing to do. Now the book of Romans clearly talks about doing things that are contradictory to what God wants, but even if you are not faith based, if you're not a Christian, you've likely you've, you've experienced that internal turmoil and struggle of, well, you know, the right thing to do, but you just don't want to do it. There's, I, I would rather do this other thing full well, knowing that it's not the right thing to do. And this battle that ensues, there's no question in my mind that this battle that ensues, it, it can provoke rage. Now, to be fair, we're the one kind of sort of doing it to ourselves. We look in the mirror and we can direct our rage positively and harness ourselves 
practice self-control or as what so many of us do, we can direct it outward toward other people because, well, we want to blame them for this struggle that's going on inside our own life. These are not new ideas. These are not novel ideas. I do not sit here here today professing that I have mastered these things. I'm not telling you that I'm the bastion of, of solid masculinity. I don't even profess to properly understand it all, except I do understand it enough to know that it can destroy lives and relationships. And I understand strong men and the concept of it enough to know that it absolutely builds lives and it builds relationships and rage isn't only expressed by the way, in some outburst of anger. So if you're thinking of rage as being some, you know, cataclysmic display, no, it it can, it can be fuming. It can be frustration. And oh, by the way, it can be silent. Rage's manifestation depends on the personality of the holder. And so as we look more deeply into strong men who go the extra mile, who go the second mile, let me challenge you to think about your rage and work harder to understand it, work harder to direct it in a more purposeful way that will serve your marriage instead of destroying it. And oh, by the way, it will serve you too. Now today I'm, yes, I'm speaking specifically to men and more specifically to married men, but it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what role you have in a relationship, or if you don't have a relationship yet, I, I hope that you will find value in the conversation because I believe this is an incredibly important subject matter. Being a strong man, going the second mile. Okay, let's begin with some context because I realize that there are some people that you've likely heard this whole second mile thing, but you may think second mile. I mean, where did that, where does that come from? Well, it comes from scripture. It comes from Matthew chapter five verses 40 through 42. And if any man would go to law with thee and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. That's where it comes from. Second mile. Now, back in ancient days, going the second mile was going above and beyond what was required. You know, people foolishly and without thinking, you hear it all the time. They'll say, they'll talk about how I gave 110% or you'll see, you'll hear some number greater than a hundred percent. Well, that's impossible because we're talking about capacity. We're talking about capability. Can you give more than is possible? We'll know because that would make it impossible. Going the second mile is not doing the impossible going the second mile signifies going beyond what is required. So back in ancient days, in biblical days, the Roman soldiers, they enjoyed significant latitude that they could impose on citizens. And so if they needed assistance from a citizen to go a mile down the road, the Lord's instruction is, we'll take them two miles. Translation, don't begrudge serving them. Go out of your way to accommodate them. Now, this was a hard thing. 
particularly for Jews in ancient times who were likely mistreated greatly by Roman soldiers. But that's the life that Christ is calling his disciples to live. Go the second mile. Go above and beyond what is required. I'm not going to preach you a sermon. If you'd like to hear me preach a sermon, I've recorded some over on my YouTube channel. There's a playlist. You can find it easily by going to in thy paths dot com in thy paths dot com okay so now hopefully we're on the same page about the title and about okay where, where the second mile thing came from and what that means going the extra mile by putting in the effort even though others may not it's not about doing what's right it's about doing what's right no matter what other people choose to do it's about being true to serve whether you're being served or not it's about refusing to be selfish. It's about working to be more selfless. Yeah, it's tall order. Now, even if you're not religious, you have heard of the Sermon on the Mount delivered by the Lord, and you would do well to read it and study it again, even if you, even if you don't believe. Those verses that I read about going the second mile are part of the Sermon on the Mount. And that entire Sermon on the Mount is a, is a tall order to be sure, but it is focused on how much greater the gospel of Jesus Christ is than the Old Testament law that God once required of mankind. But it also calls us as humans to a higher purpose and a higher standard of behavior. For instance, in the very next verse, verse 43 of Matthew 5, You've heard it said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies and pray for them that persecute you. Well, okay. God has never lowered a standard. So we come forward to the age of Jesus Christ and we come to the new Testament. It's a tall order. God's never lowered a standard. But along with it comes redemption and forgiveness. So the promises are vastly better as well. Well, today, let's think a little bit about being stronger men by being men dedicated to going the second mile, the extra mile in our marriages. True confession time. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall on my sword first. And this isn't about me. I want you to make this about you. But I also want to encourage you to think about the swords that maybe you need to fall on if you're interested in becoming a strong man. And because you clicked play and you're listening so far, I'm assuming you got some motivation to do that. In recent years, I've been anything but strong. Now, throughout my marriage, I've been married to the same woman for going on 45 years. And during those years, I've had times when I wasn't strong. I've had times where I allowed life to crush me and to break me. You probably know the feeling. I bet it's happened to you. And I bet you, you did the same thing I did. You felt sorry for yourself and you felt sad and you felt lonely. That's not the habit of strong men. Well, 
by now you clearly understand, even if this is the first episode you've ever heard, you understand by now that I have a Christian Bible-based perspective. It's unlikely that anybody terribly opposed to that viewpoint is going to give me their time and attention. But if you have, thank you. I mean, I've got great respect for your willingness to at least consider this perspective. And I clearly understand that not everybody is interested or amenable to thinking about how God and Jesus Christ play into our lives. I understand too, that some of you may not even believe in God or Christ. And I'm not here to berate you. I'm not here to beat you over the head with scripture. We're just talking about how strong men go beyond what's required. But for me, the genesis of that idea and the reason for this way of life is because of God. And that's important here. It's also important because, well, come on, the podcast is called leaning toward wisdom to understand that there's two kinds of wisdom. There's worldly wisdom and there's godly wisdom. Now, Worldly wisdom can include some things that are sinful, some things that are evil. Worldly wisdom, if greed is driving us, worldly wisdom can cause, cause a business person, for instance, to do all kinds of things that are just flat wrong, but they're profitable. They work. I mean, they can garner success. I mean, the criminal world thrives and prospers the sin industries they thrive and prosper that's one component of worldly wisdom another component doesn't have anything to do with whether it's it's sinful or evil it's just the way the world operates for instance i've been in the business world for decades i understand business wisdom it doesn't have anything to do with religion but godly wisdom for me as a Christian does enter into it, for instance, because, well, as a business guy, I'm not above doing wrong, but hopefully I will be compelled because of faith to do the right thing, to avoid lying, to not cheat, to not steal, that sort of thing. So there's these two kinds of wisdom. Now, going beyond what's required this is an important fact. It can be a faith thing, but it doesn't have to be a faith thing for me. It is for you. It may not be either way. I hope that we can eventually agree. And I hope we can come to learn that when it comes to our marriages as men going the extra mile is the path taken by the strongest men and the strongest men likely enjoy the strongest marriages as a result in part of their strength. I think we can agree on that. You know, for years I've advised young ladies, young ladies would come to me periodically, uh, predominantly at church and they would lament, you know, they can't find, they can't find good guys to date. And I would reassure them, you know, he he's out there, he's out there. And you know what? There's not just one of him. There's likely a number of them. Meanwhile, on the other hand, I've got some 19 year old boys that would come to me and they would be lamenting the same thing. They, have trouble finding, you know, a good girl to date. And I tell them the same thing that I told the girls be the person that the good young man, be the person that the good young lady is looking for. Now it's not empty advice because I'm not telling these people, listen, change, you, you just need to change everything about yourself. You need to change your person. No, I was urging them to be less selfish, 
less everything negative, but yet be more of who they are. So really both groups of people, young men or young ladies, I'm urging them to really do two things. One, be your best, behave with righteousness, behave with purity, live as good a life as you can live, be your best. And number two, go beyond what's required. Go beyond what's required. The Lord's sermon on the Mount, by the way, is not directed just toward men. And when it comes to marriage, the scriptures are very plain. However, that the husbands should lead. Now that does not mean it does not mean dominate boss, direct, coerce, manipulate, command. It means that the husband should assume responsibilities that God gave him to serve his wife and help build a marriage and a home where love can thrive. That's godly leadership. I don't care what some people argue. Some people have horribly misconstrued leadership. Just read your Bible. If you doubt me. Okay. Well, what's so hard about that? Well, everything, (laughs) I mean, for starters, understanding it can be hard. Understanding the burden of leadership can be hard because modern culture is always pushing against it because modern culture is always spinning it negatively, especially here in the United States. We have got an incredibly skewed view of leadership because here, here in America, we think it means to be the boss. You say leadership, and I can promise you most people are going to think about power and authority. Again, I'm coming from a scripture perspective and a faith perspective, the Bible doesn't make a correlation to that when it comes to human leadership because power and authority in the scripture, those are the sole domain of God through Jesus Christ. And that happens through God's word, the Bible. Now, yes, we have government authority. And according to the scriptures, we are told to respect government, give to Caesar, those things that are Caesar's. But in America, we largely think of bosses when we think of leadership. And I know this because I've been practicing leadership for well over 40 years. I've been coaching it for going on 15. And I continue to preach a perspective that defines leadership like this. A focus on others and doing for others what they can't do for themselves. In a word, influence. Now, Doing for others what they can't do for themselves does not mean that we're out here helping helpless. We should, but that's not what I'm meaning when I'm talking about leadership. Sometimes people are helpless. Sometimes they are incapable, but not always. Sometimes you may be in a position of authority and leadership, and you're able to get some roadblocks out of the way because of that power and authority. You can just, you can make something happen. But sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with power or authority. You know, I, through my life, I've had some old men. I've had a number of old men who saw in me something that I, at the time, was not able to see. They were able to do for me because they were older, smarter, and wiser. And they had insight and they had clarity that I didn't have. And they were able to do for me what I could not do for myself. They served me as leaders because they encouraged me when I was not able to do some things for myself. There is nothing insulting about leadership. 
And that's important because strong men are leaders necessarily. So by the way, the opposite thing that sometimes goes on that we attribute to leadership, it's not leadership. It's tyranny. It's tyranny. The object of proper leadership has got to be your wife. She must be the recipient of our strength, not a punching bag, literally or figuratively, but she must be the beneficiary of our strength. And that's through providing and protecting and loving and honoring and respecting and anything and everything else good that you can imagine. Okay. I I hear you. Uh I can hear the objections already. Yeah, well, that sounds about right. I I have to do all the work. (laughs) It reminds me of that. If you're old enough that you watch T-Haw, then you'll get this. And if you don't, then I'm going to embed a video. There's got to be a video I can embed over the show notes. Just find episode. Well, find the episode for October the 13th, 2022. A strong man goes the second mile. I'm going to embed a video. Um, I'm pretty sure Buck Owens wrote the song. And I'm not sure what the title of it was, but the lyric was gloom, despair, and agony on me. You know, it's, it's three or four of these guys and they're all just, and after, after nearly every verse, they're, they're all moaning out loud. Oh, you know, (laughs) listen, marriage is a two-way street. This woman that you are married to, she is, she should be the object of your affection, your love, your admiration, your respect, your joy, and all of the things positive, but stop looking for her to be the remedy to your problems. Strong men accept responsibility. They find a path forward. They get on with it. They're strong because they're willing to go the second mile. They don't go the second mile because they're strong. They've just made up their mind that they're going to go beyond what's required as opposed to that that other group of us that sometimes just, okay, what's, what's the bare minimum I can get by with some years ago, as I began to coach executives and business owners and CEOs, I, I sometimes would find myself struggling to find ways to, to get these people to accept the truth that this is your life. This is your life and you can make monumental changes. You can experience growth and improvement if you want. And after I don't know the umpteenth request for direct advice. Cause occasionally, well, more than occasionally people will say, listen, just tell me, just tell me what you think I ought to do. Now I'm not, if you're looking for a coach that does that, well, I'm not the guy. Cause I don't do that because it's not my life. It's their life. But after hearing this over and over, I realized that I need to find a way to help these people by taking my own medicine. That is, I need, as a coach, I need to step up my own game. I need to lead. I need to continue to focus on them, which is leadership. That's never been a problem, by the way, because I have extraordinary empathy and focusing on other people is not difficult for me, which is one reason I'm a coach, because I've, I've leaned into my natural tendencies. And doing for them what they aren't able, even at least in this moment, what they're not able to do for themselves that, that too was easy, but I had to learn some things. I had to figure some things out. And what I figured out was that something that I could do for them that in this moment that we were together, 
that they could not do for themselves is I need to help them find the corner. Let me explain. I created a metaphorical corner. You can picture it in your mind. You know what a corner looks like. And I realized that this is the place where I need to help my clients go, where there are no more excuses, where every bit of oxygen that they have given to their procrastination, to their blaming, to their excuse making, it's all sucked out of the room. There's nowhere to go, but forward. I mean, come on, your back's against the wall. You're in the corner and that corner is uniquely our own. Yeah, sure. Okay. I suppose that you could get backed into my corner, but uh, that's not going to do you much good. I realized I could back people into a corner and then you know what they're going to feel. Yeah, they're going to feel, they're going to feel cornered. Well, that's not profitable. I mean, that corner that you find yourself in unwillingly and you're, you're, you're driven there because of the harsh critical judgment of other people. I don't know about you in your life, but that's never been a profitable corner for me. No, the corner that I was aiming at was the corner that belonged exclusively to my clients. And it was not a corner that I was shoving them into coercing them into It was a corner. I was guiding them into, I was just providing the mechanism, the vehicle, the guidance to help them put themselves there. And since much of my work, frankly, most of my work is with high performers. I mean, stop and think about it. What low performer ever desired a coach since these were mostly high performers, I found these people in some, it, it's a process, right? It could take a little bit of time, but eventually highly willing, highly willing to accept the challenge to get into the corner. I told them that's where the magic happens. And the truth is that's where everything good happens. It is where the magic happens. And the reason for that is because it's in the corner with our backs up against the wall where we are no longer able to retreat to blaming other people, blaming situations, finger pointing, excuse making, procrastinating. That corner represents this place where we have backed up and we've gone as far as we're going to go backwards. Now, the only place to go forward. Big question. How? Well, once we're in the corner, we've willingly put ourselves in the corner frankly, because we're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. We're tired of our current search situation. We're tired of our current behavior. We're tired of our current outcomes. And now out comes the mirror, the mirror. Yeah. By looking more closely at ourselves, we're able to accept responsibility for everything. These are, <laughs> these are rather lengthy sessions, by the way, the everything conversation. What do you mean? Everything. I mean, everything. Think about it. What's the downside of, of taking responsibility for everything? Think about how empowering it is. If you are willing as a strong man or a wannabe strong man to accept responsibility for everything, this goes to wives too, by the way, what if we just accept responsibility? It doesn't mean we're to blame for it, but it means that now we can be armed with, okay, now what am I going to do? Well, 
when you accept responsibility for everything, you can get busy answering the question. Now what? Now what? What's my next step going to be? Well, we know it's going to be forward because, well, we're in a corner where we can't go backward anymore. We've gone as far backward as we're going to go. So it's now up to us to figure out what, what's my very next step going to be out of this corner. That's the work that I do every day. Now I'm going to tell you, it always begins. It, I started to say it often begins, but that's just not true. It always begins with a gripe session. And the gripe session is couched under, you know, here's what's going on with me. Here's where I'm at. Here's kind of why I need your help. But it's a gripe session about something, somebody, but sooner or later, it just comes back to the notion. If it is to be, it's up to me. Every high performing leader that I have ever worked with in no matter what their role, no matter what industry they have found themselves willing to go the second mile. There are no exceptions. Every high performing marriage has a man. Well, check that has a strong man willing to go beyond what's required. If you're just looking to stay in your marriage and just do the bare minimum, good luck with all that. Going the second mile involves some specific characteristics. And as you might imagine, no, they're not easy which is likely why not all men take on the work. And it's likely why not all men are strong men. Strong men who want to lead a strong marriage have some common traits, regardless of their personalities. Number one, strong men who go the second mile, they don't wait. They don't wait. They don't wait for her to go the second mile first. They don't wait for her to initiate. Man, as I was preparing for this show, I was thinking about all the many opportunities for deeper connection and greater love that I, I personally have foiled in my own relationship, my own marriage, because, you know, I'm just an idiot. And I know too, that there are idiotic men out there, you know, who think, well, you know, I mean, she ought to do more than she's doing. She ought to meet me halfway. And I don't mean just around the house or some chores, but it could include that. But I mean, when it comes to serving, to serving one another and as husbands, we can think, you know, I mean, come on, she, she needs to step up (laughs) Well, right off the bat. You may have spotted the leadership problem. Did you spot it? The husband who thinks like that. And when I thought like that, who are we focused on? Well, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about me. I mean, it's selfish. It's back to the hee-haw song, you know, poor I'm woe is me, you know, gloom, despair, and agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. She's not treating me well. Newsflash life is not fair. There's not one thing about life that is fair. And yet I hear men all the time and I've been guilty of it too. You know, you're thinking, well, this This isn't fair. You want fair? Wait until September or October, any given year. Here we are in it right now. We've got a really big state fair going on in Dallas, Fort Worth. You can come to it. You can eat all the saltwater taffy you want. You can buy just about anything edible in a fried form that your stomach can take. That's the only fair you're going to find. And besides, just stop and think about it. I mean, 
who made us in charge of fairness anyway? I mean, do we think we're qualified to ascertain what's fair and what isn't? I mean, come on. We're kind of biased in our own favor, aren't we? Well, that's a huge conflict of interest. So just stop it. We all just need to stop it. So what? So what if we feel like it's unfair? Our feelings aren't going to change the outcome unless we are willing to become strong men by going the second mile. So quit waiting on her. In fact, don't wait at all. Don't wait for anybody or anything. Just act right now. Is it an apology? Is it some act of kindness? Is it encouragement that you can offer sympathy, something else? Is it trash you can take out? Is it yard work you can do? Is it housework that you can help perform? I mean, whatever it is that you can do right now in direct service for her, do it. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Just do it. I mean, Michael Jordan would. (laughs) Number two, strong men who go the second mile don't keep score. You know, I mean, whoever taught us that marriage is a negotiation, they lied. They lied through their teeth. It is not. Think about it. The scorekeepers always lose. Always, 100% of the time. Have you ever noticed that every scorekeeper is on the short end of the deal? When's the last time you heard? The answer is going to be never. When is the last time you heard a scorekeeper gloat because they were ahead? No, it doesn't ever happen. I mean, the scorekeeper is, they are lament, you know, I remember when you did this, or I remember when you didn't do that. I mean, they're all, the scorekeepers are always complaining. Well, if you're winning, you're not complaining. So we need to stop it. Well, she didn't do this. Well, she didn't do that. Well, she did this. Well, she did that. Strong men who go the second mile don't keep score. They don't keep score of injustices real or perceived because none of that matters. None of it matters unless we let it. We get treated poorly sometimes, sometimes by strangers, sometimes by friends. Yep. Sometimes by our wives. And you know what? Sometimes we're the one who's guilty. If you're an adult, This has happened to you many, many, many times. Mistreatment. I mean, so let's not get too arrogant and think, well, we, we've, we've never mistreated anybody. We've, we've never mistreated. Yes, we have. Frankly, we probably do it far more than we realize by being a strong man who goes the second mile. I guarantee we will do it less and less and less and less. If we're willing to grow and improve and keep on moving toward building our strength as strong men, you know, there's this human psychological fact it's called reciprocity and it's just a famous, well, famous it's, it's just a fancy word is what I meant to say. That means we tend to behave toward each other the way we behave toward each other. So if somebody's kind to me, it's. I'm probably going to be kind to them. It's that whole golden rule thing. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm bringing God back into it in the Bible because that's where it came from, by the way. 
It's doing to others as you want them to do toward you. Well, now that just sounds an awful lot like these first two qualities, doesn't it? Not waiting, going the second mile and not keeping score. I, you know, I don't know how many days of life I would recapture if I could go back and be better at both of these first two things. Uh, there's just no telling. There's no telling what kind of time I would recover. You know, the times that I dug in my heels with some attitude of, well, you know, this time, this time I'm not making the first move. I mean, she's going to have to. Well, listen, I have learned through the years that I married a camel who could go days without water while I'm over here wallowing in my selfishness, dying of thirst. I mean, it was, I was stupid. I was an idiot. Mostly I was weak. I was not being the leader. I was not being the strong man. I was being a ninny. And if you're behaving and you know, you've done it, you're a ninny too. You do know I own the domain surrounded by ninnies.com and ninnies is I N I N N I E S. Yeah. Go check it out. Surrounded by ninnies.com. Number three. And when I first started doing this, by the way, this was, I thought going to be the last one. And I'm like, okay, you know, there's just, <laughs> I was kind of saving it for last, but then it ended up not being last. But number three is strong men who go the second mile, protect their hearts. Now there is a whole lot from which to protect ourselves. Hobbies that can take us away from our wife and family. I, I can't, I don't think I can put a number to, I would have to go back and think about this. Uh, some of the women clients that I have had through the years who have in our coaching sessions, they have gone through some horrible personal times because their husbands leave them and the kids I mean, in some cases, I mean, days at a time. Husbands that are taking golf excursions at every turn. Husbands that are completely obsessed with hunting. And when hunting season comes, I mean, it's like the, the wife and the kids are completely left in the dust. I've also heard female clients complain about how the job has just completely obsessed their husband. So we can have hobbies. We can have ambitions and careers that completely disconnect us from our wives and our families. Affections for other things could be anything. It could be anything from money to a career to golf, to any hobby could be anything else. Could be somebody else. Pornography. That's a big one. That's a common one. Strong men willing to go beyond what's required guard themselves through self-restraint. And like I said, I, this was going to be the last thing I mentioned, and I saved it for last, not because it's least, but because it may be the hardest. And I worded it this way on purpose. Strong men who go the second mile protect their hearts. I could have said strong men who go the second mile control themselves. Yes, I wordsmithed it, and I prefer, I prefer the wording that I stuck with. 
Well, for a number of reasons. Number one, our hearts matter. What we think matters. And we ought to give greater diligence to how we think and what we think. Number two, what we love matters. And, you know, love is always considered this act of the heart. And it is because it's our thoughts. It's our emotions. But thirdly, I use protect our hearts because that's something that we're doing for ourselves. And yet everybody in our life is benefited. It's not self-serving, but it is self-serving and we all win. Now, none of these refer to that muscle in our chest that's pumping blood. They all refer to our mind from which stem our logical thoughts and our emotions. We think, we feel, we act. Strong men aren't willing to surrender their hearts to just anything or anything or anybody and everything and everybody. Strong men who are willing to surrender to their marriage are unwilling to surrender to things that will damage or potentially destroy their marriage because strong men who go the second mile are men who are committed to their wife. Firstly, for me, because I've already told you I'm a man of faith, I'm a Christian. For me, strong men are committed to God. And by obeying God, we are necessarily determined that we're going to become better. We're going to become stronger. We're going to work hard to do these things. We're going to work hard to subject ourselves to God and to our wives and to our marriage. That's why only strong men do that kind of work. When a wife knows, just ponder this for me. When a wife knows that she is second only to God, the creator of the universe, how do you imagine she feels? I mean, do you think she feels properly cherished? How could she not? When a strong man goes the second mile, he refuses to go the first mile with evil, sinful, distracting things that might corrupt his marriage. He is letting his wife know he is proving to the universe and to himself how much she really matters. She knows her strong man is willing to sacrifice himself for her welfare because that's what matters more. Every wife, and you can just put it in big capital letters, every wife desires such a thing to know that no other human on earth matters more. I mean, what a high pedestal on which to reside and strong men who go the second mile happily and proudly put their wife not on display. Hello, Instagram. Hello, social media, not on display. No strong man puts his wife on display, but every strong man who goes a second mile happily and proudly puts their wife on the throne of their own hearts. 
Strong men who go the second mile in marriage don't flirt with anything. They don't flirt with anybody who might cause any damage to their wife or their marriage. They practice what the scripture calls temperance or self-control, self-restraint. Preached a sermon, I don't know, it was a month or so ago. I entitled it, Put Up Your Sword. It really is just, it's a look at meekness. I'll link it up in the show notes if you want to listen to it. The Bible refers to meekness. Now, it's a confusing term for a lot of folks, and a lot of folks don't really properly understand what it means. It's not weakness. It is not quietness. It's not really submissiveness. It's power restrained. Power restraint. It's not doing something that you could otherwise do. It's holding yourself back. It's guarding yourself. And it's what strong men do who go the second mile. For too many years, I have struggled to be what I'm describing today. I have had moments in recent years where I was better at it. I've had moments in far past years where I was better at it. My brightest, most shining moments, I'm going to tell you, have not necessarily been my most recent ones. And being true to my metaphorical corner that I talked to you about, I'm not going to offer you any excuses because I'm a man without excuse. I, I allowed it to happen. I might have even fostered it to happen because I got selfish and confused about what true focus on my wife looked like. I was guilt. I was guilty. I was guilty of all of these things that I have described that should characterize a strong man who's willing to go the second mile. I was guilty of not being these things. And as a result, I could see myself becoming weaker. So I backed myself into a corner, my corner, the corner where I belonged, where I could achieve the most profitable work that was necessary for me to become a better man, a stronger man, a better husband, a man with greater resilience, with greater resolve to go beyond what's required. Now I'm going to tell you straight up. It ain't fun. It ain't fun, but it's the most rewarding work anybody can do to work on ourselves, to become better, to grow, to improve. And man, it demands, it demands challenges to our existing state. We have got to change. And that means it requires movement, meaningful action taken in a helpful direction. And it feels great. In fact, I'll go you one better. It feels great immediately. You know, forget all that poo-pooing that we do about instant gratification. And, and there is no, you know, there's nothing profitable about instant gratification. I'm telling you that discipline and sacrifice felt great for me once I fully committed. And once I began to act accordingly and it happened quickly, it just, it happened quickly. I've talked to you about purging and how, you know, there's a lot of dread to begin the process, but man alive, the minute I dove in, I instantly was feeling great. So there is some instant gratification and some good things. 
Now for me, the proverbial rock bottom, okay. It wasn't, it wasn't really so much some rock bottom, uh, of a physical state because for me, it was mostly spiritual and emotional and mental. I didn't betray my wife. I wasn't ugly. I wasn't abusive, but I was struggling. I was struggling and I, I wasn't struggling. I was struggling without excuse, but I was not struggling without cause because there were some reasons for my struggle and many of them were beyond my control. However, full accountability, full responsibility, be responsible for everything. My responses to the things happening completely within my control, a hundred percent. And somewhere I lost my way. I lost my way in the mire of it all. I felt like I was fighting to battle through. Now here's what I realized. Here's what the corner did for me over time. As I backed myself into my corner, I realized, dude, you're not fighting the battle at all. You think you are, but really what you're doing is you're surrendering. And I realized that I was surrendering to my own selfishness, my own self pity, my own sadness, my own sorrow, my own loneliness. Now here I am just picture this here. I am coaching folks. And during the day I'm, I'm preaching, I'm evangelizing about leadership and it being a focus on others. Uh, and yet <laughs> in my nighttime insomnia, I'm, I'm being driven with a greater focus on myself. And I can tell you what that produced overwhelming sorrow, overwhelming sadness. I mean, I just created my own weakness and I weakened my lack of, or I weakened my resolve that I should have had. I, I lacked the resolve to become a better man. And after too many weeks of struggling, and I cannot overemphasize when I say struggling, I mean, really struggling. Rhonda and I got into it for the first time in many, many years. And listen, when I say getting into it for us, getting into it, because we just don't, we just don't, we've, we've never had the habit of it. Getting into it does not involve shouting, losing control. Mostly it just involves frustration on both our parts and it manifests itself in finally having a really pointed direct conversation that frankly, if we would just rewind the clock and we'd have gone back and had that, we'd have been instantly better. So in, in a moment like that, my frustrations poured out and I let them, which was a good thing. And once they were expressed, I heard myself and it was a turning point. I heard myself. I did not like what I heard. Now, listen, I wasn't being hateful. I wasn't being abusive. I wasn't being mean spirited. I wasn't being ugly. I just, I didn't like, I just didn't like what I heard. I was in deep, deep, deep pain and the expressions of that pain, they weren't contrived, but I can tell you what they were. They were scary. And then I can tell you, once I verbalized them out loud to her, I can tell you, I, here's what I heard. Whining. I heard whining. I heard past my despair. I heard past my sorrow and sadness. I heard past my loneliness, which I had told her in that moment, they are crushing. 
I'm feeling, I'm feeling despair and a crushing sense of sadness and sorrow and loneliness. Those were the only words that I could find that would remotely describe how I was feeling in that moment. But after I said all that, I heard my whining and here's what I thought. And this is the impetus for this show, by the way, strong men aren't whiners. Strong men don't whine. You sir are not a strong man. Not right now. And not anymore. I'm a man of questions. I love questions because I'm naturally curious and I got a knack for it. I've got a knack for asking pretty good questions. And in that moment, I asked myself, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Now I know modern culture, boys don't cry. That's rubbish. Men don't cry. That's even bigger rubbish. Cause let me tell you, men have got a whole lot more to cry about than boys. <laughs> and I'm not talking about the whining kind of crying. I'm just talking about life strength. It may not be what you first imagine. It's not steely eyed determination because frankly, some guys don't have steely eyes, no matter what they're determined to do. It's not some quiet Spock like emotionless demeanor. It's not a lack of vulnerability. It's not being something you're not. Frankly, in my mind, it's being more of who you are, but better, always better. It's being able to carry a load, not by yourself, but you're the first person to pick it up. And it's not about never complaining necessarily, but it's about knowing the res the resolution that you need so that the complaint begins with you. Yeah. Ponder that it's about finding the strength to push past whatever challenges you've got. I don't know what they are. I mean, I'm busy over here trying to come to grips with my own, but we got to be here for one another. I was not ashamed. I was not embarrassed for confiding in Rhonda in that moment about how I was feeling. Fact is I had been expressing it, but not as pointedly. And I realized in that moment how unfair I was being to her feeling as though I had attempted to express my pain. And, and what I was doing is I was growing resentful. She, she's not responding. I mean, did she not hear me? Does she not care? Enter the dragons in my, in my head. You got dragons in your head. I do. And those dragons were convincing me. Oh, you're, you're completely justified to feel the way you feel. Problem is the, here's the problem with dragons. There's a lot of problems with dragons. That's a whole nother show, but the dragons, they lie to you too. Cause I was wrong. I was wrong in mere minutes after expressing that I told her I was wrong and I apologized sincerely because I had ascribed all kinds of thoughts and emotions that weren't fair to her and they weren't even accurate. I'm to believe that this woman that I've been married to for going on 45 years she doesn't care if I'm hurting. She doesn't care if I'm in pain. Really? Really? Yeah. I mean, you're really gonna, yeah. my faith in this woman that, that I love desperately. It's that low. Well, that ain't fair. My excuses had taken on so much oxygen that they were burning as bright as they ever burned. 
until I got sick and tired and I headed and I backed into my corner and I grabbed the mirror and I'm looking at it and very quickly suck all the oxygen out of the room. So now all my excuses, they're extinguished. Well, now what am I left with? Well, I'm left with clarity. That's what I'm left with. I'm left with freedom. I'm left with a liberating feeling because now I'm able to push past all this stuff. And now, now I can make my way toward what I'm calling practical minimalism. And I can do that with my feelings and with my thoughts and with my intentions. Purging brings relief always. Now, I didn't waste time. This is an important point. I did not waste time berating myself for having lost my way. I did not berate myself for having gotten to this point. You know, all that would have done is help me remain lost and help me remain in despair. No, it was time for me to come out of the woods of my despair and sadness and sorrow. Because, well, frankly, that had not worked. If that had worked, I'd have kept doing it. There's a quote. I love it. If you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. Why don't we do that? I, I don't know. I was in a hole and I was just continuing to dig until I found my way into the corner where the magic happens. And some, for some moronic reasons, probably way too many to even figure out lethargy, ease, complacency, selfishness. That's the biggest of them. I think I had resisted the corner, which basically meant I was resisting the magic. Never avoid the magic. I came up with a last one. Strong men who go the second mile don't always get it right. You can imagine why I crafted that one because I had this moment of clarity in the corner. Strong men that go the second mile don't always get it right. It's constant work. It requires continuous ongoing commitment. Good news. You can start right now. Bad news. You can't ever stop. I know I'm a strong man because mostly I've lived as one. Not always, but I always find my way back. And sometimes it's longer. Sometimes it's a tougher slog than it is at other times. But the important fact is my resolve, my overall resolve is I've got to find a way forward. You know, there's a difference between a lack of repentance and being a human in this case, being a strong man who sometimes fails unrepentant people return to poor behavior and repentance, by the way, while it's a spiritual and scriptural thing, you don't have to be a person of faith to understand the value and importance of repentance because the person who is unrepentant, they just go back to being what they were. Oh, they may vow they'll do better, but they don't. They do one thing, but then they do something different. Strong men repent. They fix what ails them by refusing to return to the poor behavior for which they seek forgiveness or for which they're seeking change. 
Strong men acknowledge their wrongs. We quickly apologize. We repent. We learn from it. We grow. We move forward with improved behavior driven by improved intentions. Man, if I had a dollar for every time a husband said, she will never apologize to me for anything. And if I had a dollar for every wife that I heard say about her husband, he will never apologize for anything. (laughs) Now, maybe it depicts a lack of humility. Strong men who go the extra mile are men who are willing to build their life and their marriage on humility, which is a focus on others more than yourself. Well, now that sounds an awful lot like how I define leadership. Bingo. Strong men don't keep score, so they may consider that if their wife was wrong and failed to apologize, well... What if she doesn't feel comfortable? What if she doesn't feel emotionally safe to apologize? Possible. I don't know. I just know that a strong man who goes beyond what's required and doesn't demand an apology in order to forgive. Yeah. He's a leader. Do you demand apologies before you forgive? Now this strong man He doesn't always get it right, but he also knows neither does she. And so he assumes leadership by putting in the work that he knows is required of him as a husband. What he does is it doesn't hinge on what she does. He does what's right. Anyway, he keeps going beyond beyond. You know, after nearly 45 years of marriage to the same woman, you'd think I'd have it down by now. Yeah, you'd think, wouldn't you? Not so much. I'm still working on it. I think about it every single day. I'm not saying I do it, but I ask myself the question every, what do I need to do today to make it better, to make myself better? And most days I fixate on what I need to do to become a strong or stronger man. You could probably say, well, you know, that's just the control freaky part of you. And you could be right. You could be right. Cause I'm that guy who second guesses myself pretty regularly because I wonder, could I have made a difference now at a deep level? Sounds completely arrogant. Doesn't it as though I've got the power to, you know, to change people. I don't, I don't have that power and I know it, but I'm always looking in the mirror wondering What could I have done better? How could I have done better? It's one of the dragons. It's a dragon that I'm, I've kind of tamed through the years to try to make it be a profitable dragon. Luke chapter 12, verse 15 says, and I'll kind of end on this point. And he said unto them, take heed and keep yourselves from all covetousness. You know what covetousness is? Well, I want this. Well, I want that. You know, I'm, I think of it as being desirous of things that you don't have for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth, but nearly every man I know ties his worth to how much income he can generate for his wife and his family. Well, I don't mean solely, but 
most married men that I have talked with throughout all of my lifetime admit that they are driven greatly by this. I, my hands in the air. I know I have been throughout my married life. Being a provider is a big part of marriage for a strong man who goes the second mile, but it's just one half of the double P's of marriage, protecting and providing. They both matter. One without the other can make a man feel rather useless. More often than not, maybe they're hard to separate protecting and providing. I think it speaks to the complex psychology of men, which is different from the complex psychology of women. Strong men who go the second mile are able to provide something unique for their wives. And the strong women who marry strong men, they provide something invaluable to those men, something without which we could never be, never be the strong men that we are. The respect, the support, the love that strong women give to strong men, it's the fuel that we need. Never doubt, never doubt a strong man's determination to win the admiration and love of a strong woman. Because a man willing to go the extra mile is a man who is not going to be denied going to the ends of the earth for the woman he loves. Now, listen, we may not reach the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, or we may not reach the ends of the earth, but we can absolutely consume ourselves with trying. And in the effort, hopefully, Lord willing, we continue to grow and gain strength and resolve and our wives see the work and our wives are attracted to our commitment to it because they realize we're committed to them. And no matter what happens, no matter what happens to either one of us as individuals or whatever happens to us as a couple, we're going to be better because we grew into a strong man, a strong man willing to go beyond what was required. For many years, I've talked about how as guys, we're still just little boys trying to show off. I don't make any apologies for that. Right? I mean, we're these grown men who are out here instead of saying, hey, mom, look at me. We're looking at our wives and we're saying the same thing. Hey, Rhonda, look at me. Hey, watch this. Because we want to show off to these women that we love. Well, I've just told you how we can do that. Question is, are we going to? I hope you do. Yeah, I know. Different kind of show, huh? <laughs> hope you enjoyed it. Hope, better yet, that you found it profitable. I'd be curious... I'd be curious to hear from you. You can find an email address over at the website, leaningtowardwisdom.com. 
It's over there somewhere. I'll give you a hint. Go to support the podcast link at leaningtowardwisdom.com and you'll find it. I hope you're a strong man who goes the second mile. And I know this, that if you'll commit yourself to doing that, however strong a woman you married, she'll grow stronger too. May God bless our marriages and our homes. My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm always your host here at Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast, Modern Tales of an Ancient Pursuit. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. <laughs>